those shorter deals because I think this one's going to be like <laughs> sitting behind it. And be like, hey, I get to sit down today. Yeah, I I remember waking up the second day of the retreat, and you know when you like you have a Christmas party or or a, a retreat or something. Thank you, service. And there's always that you know that person you know you remember that guy remember Larry at the Christmas party he got so drunk or he fell off the deal and broke his whatever, and I, I realized when I woke up the second day of the retreat that I was that guy. I was the guy with the big fat ankle. So, anyway, but one thing that I was encouraged by while I was away, we usually have our Thursday night connect group, and we couldn't because I was on the retreat. The college students, on their very own, went out to the beach and had their own little worship jam on the beach. Who was at that deal? Who was anybody there? Look at that! Look at that! I'm just kind of on the sidelines, just watching them. They're just a great, great group of group of guys, and they. Right, I heard right after worship was done, everybody just kind of darted for the ocean and went swimming at, at night. Right? Yeah, that's that is awesome. Anyway, Thursday night we meet just a, as a little plug. We meet at my house on Thursday night, and they are a great bunch. Don't come because I'm there. Come because they're there. They're awesome. They are a great crew. Um, let me let me pray for us before we get into this. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you and praise you just for just for your heart, just for who you are and how you are so other and different than us, but yet we're somehow formed and made into your image and we're created to be in this wonderful communion with you and in this connection with you, God. And God, I just pray that tonight that you just just fall in this place in an amazing way, that you open ears, that you open hearts and minds to, to hear you, to listen for words from you. God, I just pray that you speak through me, just broken and feeble and fallen clay, to communicate your word and, and to speak truth. God, I just pray these things in the, the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Um, I've got a, uh, a real good friend of mine that I grew up with. His name is Shay Lambert. And Shay was one of those guys that um, I guess you'd call an overachiever. Now, an overachiever is not really somebody that, that's like gifted and talented with all these, you know, he's got all these special gifts. It's somebody that it really is kind of average and ordinary, but um, just has these lofty dreams and goals and just works real hard at them. And Shea was this classic, you know, he was just the average Joe. He was kind of average looking. He was a you know, below average student, um, an average athlete. Um, but he had, he always, you know, went out for the football team, went out for the baseball team, wanted to do all these things and worked really hard. And that was just kind of the picture of Shay. And he was such a good friend of mine, but it was just one thing that we teased him for. Um, our junior year, he'd gone out for the football team, and he'd made the football team. He ended up being the center. He was smaller than I was. He was like 170 pounds or 165 pounds. He ended up being the center on the football team, which was extraordinary. We kind of sucked, so that was kind of part of the reason. But he uh, he was... He was amazingly cocky for not being that good looking and not that athletic, not having, you know, all the gifts and tools you'd think to be cocky. He was pretty cocky. And uh, one of the things that he wanted to do was become a Navy SEAL. And he used to always just talk about, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL, dude. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And our response as his friends, and and if you're a good friend, you're going to laugh at him. (laughs) 
you're going to laugh at somebody that comes along with, with lofty dreams like, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. Um, if you don't know what a Navy SEAL, are, a SEAL is, anybody know what a Navy SEAL is? Kind of an average idea. Well, the, the SEALs are members of the Navy Special Warfare Unit, which stands for Sea, Air, and Land. And they're known as the toughest military unit in the United States Armed Forces. And they endure this unimaginable training. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. They have to take a, just, just to be able to go to the training or to be um, accepted into the training, it's a voluntary training in the armed forces. Um, you have to say, hey, I want to be a SEAL. And they, you have to take this test and go through this physical test to, uh, to even begin the training. Um, and they have this training called BUDS, which is a basic underwater demolition training for SEALs. And it's a six-month training that is just crazy. And the one thing that kind of identifies this training is they have this this third week in the training that's called Hell Week, and it kind of weeds out all the people that, that start going into the SEALs that think, yeah, I'm going to be in it. People like Shay. Um, and it's a five days where they don't sleep. They spend about 90% of their time in the water, and it's in Coronado, California. If anybody knows California, the water is pretty cold there. It's about 56, 57 degrees is the temperature year-round. And they basically go through surf torture. They lay on their backs. They can't put their hands on their face. They lock arm in arm. And, you know, they lay for hours on end in the water in freezing temperatures. And basically this weeds them out. You know, they do a ton and ton of physical exercise as they're there. They usually start out with 60, between 60 and 80 people in each class. And they usually end up with about 8 or 10. So the drop rate is incredible. And one of the other things that kind of identifies... um, Hell Week and Buds is they have this truck with a bell on it. And if you ever want to quit, since it's a voluntary program, you can go ring the bell. And that pretty much constantly happens the first day of Hell Week. I mean, you've got people ringing that bell because they don't want any more of what's going on in Hell Week. And Shay used to always talk about it. The reason I know about it is because Shay was always in my ear chatting to me about the Navy SEALs and Hell Week and how he was going to do this thing. And uh, he said, yeah, they even ride around with like hot pizza and, you know, you're freezing and they tell you, just come ring the bell and we'll give you hot pizza and let you pack your gear. And, and that's exactly what people did in, in Hell Week. And <clears throat> Shay talked about it so much and it got, it kind of got, you know, it kind of wore on us. And we just, you know, we just constantly would, would laugh at him and rag him. And even he, our junior years when he kind of started this chatter about being a Navy SEAL. And I remember all the seniors absolutely loathed Shay. I mean, they just thought he was the most... They couldn't believe he was that cocky um, to say that he was going to begin a Navy SEAL. Um, but I think one of the main reasons they didn't like him was because he dated a lot of the girls in the senior class. He was a classic overachiever. And they didn't like that at all. Um, but... As we uh, got older, we, grew, we graduated from high school, and sure enough, Shay entered the Navy. And we didn't think much about it. We thought, you know, this is going to be a big disappointment for Shay. He's entering the Navy. And it was around 1990, which was the first Gulf War, so immediately he got shipped over to the Persian Gulf. Um, and I heard from Shay on and off, um, you know, for the next couple of years and didn't hear much about the SEAL deal and didn't ask him much. You know, as I got older, I got more mature. Didn't uh, rag him quite as much. Um, but... I got this phone call one day. He said, I'm in Norfolk, Virginia, and I met up with this guy, and he wants to be a SEAL too, and we're, you know, we're, we're training together to take the, the pre-entrance exam to go to BUDS. And I was like, great, this is fantastic. Um, and 
Sure enough, a couple weeks later, he called me. He says, I'm, I'm heading out to San Diego, California. They're, they're sending me to Coronado. I passed the test, the little pre-test to get into BUDS. And I didn't think much about it. I thought, yeah, you know, he's been in the Navy for a while. He's probably in pretty good shape to go out there. But I never, you know, I didn't really give him the benefit of the doubt. It was kind of one of those things where me and my friends back in Tallahassee were kind of laughing at Shea all over again. We're like, it's Shea and his, his SEAL deal. You know, he's going to become a Navy SEAL. And about I, my life was real at the time was 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 pretty pretty hectic. I was ending my college career. Um, I was engaged to be married and really didn't think about Shay. And you know, I got the phone call. Didn't think much about it. And then about six months later, I got a phone call from him. He said, "I'm coming home to visit." And I didn't even immediately. I thought, "Well, I wonder if he finished the seals." But I didn't ask him on the phone because I thought maybe that's a sore spot. He probably didn't make it, and he would have definitely told me on the phone or would have called me like the minute he got out of buzz and said, "I got it." I did it. But he didn't say anything about that. So he said, hey, can you come pick me up at the airport when I come in? I'd rather you guys, my friends, pick me up than my parents. So I said, yeah, sure, why not? So we go to pick him up at the airport. And I remember looking down the ramp, you know, just to waiting for him. And I didn't see him. And we're kind of looking at all the different people. And I, we see this one dude that we've been looking at the whole time. He's, he's walking up. And, and I'm like, that, that's Shay. And it's this dude, he's completely like ripped and, and buff, and he's got a little um, military cap on. And I'm like, what's, what's up? This is not the same Shay I remember. He was kind of a soft little, you know, dude that had a big mouth, and he just looked totally, totally different. And, you know, we walked up to my, I was like, Shay, what's up? He goes, I, I, I passed, I, I got through BUDS, I'm, I'm graduating in a month, and I'd like you guys to fly out to California for, to, to be with me during graduation when they pinned the trident on me. And, I mean, our jaws just dropped. I mean, we're like, you know, we couldn't believe it. And he was with a friend of his, another Navy SEAL that had graduated with him, and his friend told me, he said, he said if Shay hadn't got injured during BUDS, he would have gotten Honor Man, which is the top of his class. Not only did he, was he one of the, I think he had nine in his graduating class, but he was the... He was at the top, and he got rolled back because he ended up getting some sort of shoulder injury, but um, he would have been the honor man. So not only did he do it, but he did it, I mean, top notch. So we weren't laughing anymore. The laughing, the laughing ended there. I want to I tell another, another story about laughter. It's from the Bible. Um, in Genesis 17, um, Abraham was kind of pinned by God to be the father of many nations. And that was kind of what God had put, the mantle God had put on Abraham. And this section of scripture is where um, Abraham already knew God had, had, had spoken to him before and told him that he was going to be the father of many nations. But in Genesis 17, he specifically was going to be talking about details about how that was going to go down. And in verse 15, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed. And he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means, anybody know? Laughter. 
And I will establish my covenant with him. An everlasting covenant for his offspring. I want you to remember, we're going to talk about it in a minute, that the fact that God, when Abraham said something about Ishmael, Ishmael was kind of Abraham's side deal. Like his, not, he, you know, God had told him, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He was 75. He says, well, you know, how are we going to get this done? Well, he ends up having an agreement. Well, I'm, I'm going to take my handmaiden and we're going to have a baby. And that was Ishmael. And this time, Ishmael was 13 years old. Abraham's 100. And he's saying, he loves his son. And he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He wants Ishmael to be the covenant child, the, the, the child where the, that this was all centered around. And God says, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And God continued to talk to Abraham about, and he said, you know, Ishmael's going to have some cool things. There's going to be a great nation that comes out of Ishmael. But my covenant will be with Isaac, the one that you laughed about, the idea, this whole thing that you giggled about. And as it continues in full Old Testament fashion, this is kind of just a side note, and I had to, I had to talk about it just because it's, you know, it's just so God in the Old Testament. Immediately after that, basically God tells Abraham that you need to get circumcised. At a hundred years old, he says, as a sign of the covenant, I want you to get circumcised. And not only that, oh, by the way, your 13-year-old son, I'm sure he was excited to hear, he's going to be circumcised too. And oh, by the way, I think all the relatives in your household, yeah, I think they need to, be, uh, they need to get a little trim as well. And oh, by the way, any slaves or servants that you've picked up along the way that are living under your household, yeah, they need to be circumcised too. And I thought about that, and I was thinking, what if you were one of the, the, the slaves or the servants or the people that had just kind of come along or been purchased, and you were listening outside the deal, and you're like, oh, this sounds pretty cool, and then, oh, <laughs> that would not be cool. But anyway, I just thought, I mean, thank God for the new covenant. That's a whole other sermon, but I'm so glad we are in a new time in the New Testament, baby, because that whole trimming, trimming deal, no good. As the story continues, in Genesis 18, um, God appears again. And this is kind of an odd thing, too, to me. Um, the, Lord appeared, the, the Lord appeared to Abraham again by the oaks of uh, Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, there were three men standing in front of him. I'm thinking, okay, there's a Lord in front of him, and then there's three men. Who are the three men? That was kind of just an odd thing. And I looked at some of the... Some of the um, you know, what people have written about that, and, and some people say, well, it's, it's obviously God, because, you know, he said the Lord appeared to him, and there was three men. Is one of them God? Are they all three God? Is two of them some angel dudes and Jesus? And there's a lot of commentary, but we know that in, this, in these three men, that God is there, and that Abraham's kind of taken aback by the fact that they're there in this physical form. He lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, the three men were standing in front of him. And he saw them, and he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet and rest yourselves under a tree, and I'll bring you a morsel of bread. So Abraham begins to scurry around, and he says, Sarah, you need to go in the tent. You need to make some bread, do something. we got God outside the tent. And so she's in there, you know, making bread and doing some stuff, and Abraham goes outside and they begin to, to talk to Abraham 
about the covenant again. And this is what they said to him. They said, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. She's doing the deal. She's making bread because I wanted to bring you guys some stuff. I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself. So I'm picturing Sarah's kind of laughing in her mind. She's like, (laughs) I'm 90. Not going down. Sarah laughed to herself saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah had heard this whole thing going down, and she, I guess she poked her head out of the tent. I don't know what the scene looked like. And she's, she denied it. She said, oh, I, didn't, I didn't laugh. Saying, she said, I didn't laugh, because she was kind of afraid, because God was outside the tent talking to Abraham. <laughs> and I love this response. It's kind of funny. I mean, I, 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 he, the, the immediate response is, no, but you did. I mean, she says, I, I didn't laugh, I didn't laugh. And it's, no, you did laugh. I mean, it's just kind of a funny little piece there. I just think God's funny. No, I busted you. I can hear your thoughts. And I just, I just read this story kind of in a different way. And some of you may have read, read it this way a, a million times. But I, I was just thinking that God is in the business of giving us dreams and giving us visions and giving us things that are laughable that are extraordinary that are that are going to make people kind of step back and go (laughs) you know they're going to make us laugh he gives out dreams and plans and visions that seem just unrealistic he puts tasks before us that require his power his strength and not ours and one thing that I think we do as God drops these plans on us, as God gives us something that we're like, I wonder if that's God, because if it is, this is crazy. What we do is we deviate from that, and we begin to kind of create our little Ishmael-sized plan. It's a smaller little deal. We're like, you know, I'm, I'm not really gifted or talented enough to do this thing, or I'm not equipped. Sarah obviously felt like she wasn't equipped. Abraham's like, we're old. This deal ain't going down. So they came up with their own plan and their own way of doing things. And I think sometimes we do that. We're like, I'm not equipped to do this. I'm not ready to do this. So we come up with our own little side deal. It's kind of our Ishmael plan. It's not really the God plan, but it kind of looks like it. It's, it's similar. This, is, this, this may work because this is more me. This is more what is you know, doable for me. And God is into his glory. He's into, he's into things that are extraordinary. And he's into plans that are like making a 90-year-old with child. Laughable things. Things that will shock the foundation of the earth. Those are the things that God's into. I'll be honest. I, I, a year ago, I was a computer science engineer, a programmer, a systems analyst. You know, pushing numbers around, writing programs and doing things that was my comfort zone. Did that for 10 years. And God, for years before, before a year ago, had been saying, I got something I want you to do. And 
I was like, yeah, no. You know, and and every time somebody would ask me to do something, if somebody asked me to lead worship or somebody asked me to to teach or somebody asked me to lead in any way, my first response was to kind of look over my shoulder and say, who are you talking to? Because I knew I wasn't equipped. I knew I didn't have the tools. I knew I didn't have the, the things that, that I needed to be a good worship leader, to be a good teacher, to lead people. I always looked behind me because I, I saw this laughable vision or dream that God had for my life, and I didn't believe it. And I was, I was satisfied with, you know, I'm going to keep my little job over here and do my little programming thing, and occasionally I'll volunteer and I'll teach, and maybe I'll get my guitar and I'll lead worship for for youth or FCA sometimes or do stuff like that. And I kept it kind of like that. And God kept on saying no, just like he did here in Genesis. No, no, no. This is not what I've got planned for you. I've got something bigger. I've got something bigger. And the the amount of events that occurred that drug me in to where I am right now, sitting in front of you teaching in a church here on staff, doing what God created me to do. I still have trouble. You can ask Antley. I still have trouble stepping into this role. You know, I still think, you know, they're going to they're gonna wake up one day at River City Church and figure out who Derek is, and they're gonna, he's going to be out of here. But God is into giving us laughable dreams, things that people are going to look at, and they're going to just roll over and go, I cannot believe that Antley thinks he can start a church. I mean, do you think everybody, when Antley, you know, started calling people up and saying, hey, I'm moving to London with my family, you think everybody was like, that sounds exactly like what we thought you were going to do. No, they got off the phone and they probably giggled a little bit or said, what in the world is he doing? But when things like that start to happen in your life and that you, you have that, it's that little hint of God in it, it's probably God. It's probably God. If, if there's been a bomb dropped in your lap of a vision that you think, there's no way this is what God's asking me to do, it's probably God. I think some of us in this room are, are absolutely, definitely called to do amazing things. I'm not just talking about in ministry. You, know, you may be called to the mission field. Maybe some of you, God said, I want you to go. You need to go home tonight, pack your bags, and head off to, what was that Chattahoochee something that you said this morning? Africa, the fictional Africa country. Um, that may be what God's asking you to do, but God may... God may be saying, I want you to be an interior decorator or a designer. I want you to go to New York and be the best designer you could possibly be. Because 1 Corinthians 10.31 doesn't say, you know, whether therefore you eat, drink, or whatsoever you do, do ministry to the glory of God. It says whatsoever you do, whatever you do. So you could be an attorney, a doctor, I mean, you could be one of those lawyers that's like, you know, Gary Haugen for the International Justice Mission that goes all over the world, you know, freeing girls in the name of Jesus from the slavery of uh, prostitution. I mean, that could be the type of dream that God lays in your lap. You could be a teacher, a coach, a counselor, a social worker. It doesn't matter. But I, I believe there's people in here that God's been whispering in your ear and it's getting louder and louder and louder. And every time that you tell somebody about it, they might giggle a little bit. You know, maybe not to your face, but it's one of those laughable dreams. I think some of you are, you have no idea what God wants to do, but you're, you're in the tent preparing a meal. You're doing something. You're preparing the ground around you for something. You're just preparing because you want to see something dropped. 
in your lap. And you're waiting for something to be dropped in your lap. And I think some of us have had a dream that we've let die. That God's been talking to us for years. And said, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. But you've settled for an Ishmael kind of dream. You've settled for less than what God's asked you to do. You've settled for less than what God has created you to do. And what God's trying to tell you is, look, I don't give you these dreams so that you have to execute them. I give you these things because I have to step in and execute them for you, for my glory. Noah didn't believe the critics when they laughed. David didn't believe anyone when they laughed and said, you're too small, you're too insignificant. He didn't even strap on the armor because he had such faith that the God-sized dream or vision that he had given him to slay a giant was before him. My friend Shea, he certainly proved us all wrong. We stopped laughing. We stopped laughing. Scripture says that God's plans will not be thwarted. They're too great. The question is, are we willing to hear God's plan, even if it's laughable? It's not about our personal dreams or unrealistic goals. That's not what this is about. The difference here is that it's for God's glory. It's for something that He wants to do. It's for somewhere He wants us to go. And tonight, I think we've got a room full of people that are in one of those three categories. As we move into prayer time, I want everybody to just stand right now. We're going to move into a time of prayer. We do every Sunday morning and every Sunday night. And I really believe that God wants something big, especially for this group, especially for the people that are in here. I've seen so much personally with the people that I know that are in here. And there's just something that God does here on Sunday night that just leads this church to believe that God is going to use these people right here, this generation, to do something amazing. I was looking at something the other day that it was this research study about this generation, this college generation, and, and, and you know the, the 20 to 30 set, and that you are the most ambitious generation yet. And the study was actually a knock on you, saying that you're not enrolling in college, but you're, you have lofty dreams. You're not doing all the things that, that somebody that has these ambitious dreams should do or doing. And I looked at the study, and I thought it was bunk. I thought, it was, I thought the reason that you're ambitious is God is going to use you to do something amazing. God's going to take this generation and do something outlandish. There's going to be a, a laughable vision or a laughable dream that is going to fall on people in this room that is going to change the world. Just close your eyes and let's just begin to receive. Just hold out your hands as if you're, you're receiving a gift. There's no, no magic to, to prayer ministry time. We just believe.